the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Can you believe we're more than halfway through the season at this point? I, you know, it seems like every time you want something to last, it just it never does. But that's the nature of life. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry with you off to a great start, uh, bright and early on my end of the country, but uh, that's okay. Uh, overall, when we're talking about Conference USA, this might have been the most entertaining week of the season so far. Every single game was decided by either one or two scores. Uh, did you kind of get the same feeling that I got from this weekend, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game that I was at was pretty much in hand at the bite. <laughs> now, both of us are bright and early, huh? Despite <laughs> the box score. But outside of that game, the rest of them were all pretty close. Uh, especially, you know, I think the game of the week it was Marshall FAUs. We'll get to that in a few. But, yeah, really good slate of uh, conference games. And, yeah, man, like you said, uh, it's almost amazing to kind of think, you know, covering FIU, we are two weeks away from the last home game of the year, which feels insane to say. It feels like the season just started and we're almost at the uh, final home game at Ricardo Silva Stadium. So, yeah, this season is definitely going by. Yeah, I, I had that thought too when I feel like several teams had their homecoming games this weekend, and typically you don't do those until – um, you're getting closer to the end of your home slate. So I was just like, wait, no, no, it just started. Damn it. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, it's uh, it's brutal. But um, you mentioned FIU and Marshall and what a game that was. So let's dive right into this uh, this past weekend slate with that game. Uh, Marshall winning that one, of course, 36 to 31 in Boca Raton. Uh, really, you got to give all the credit to Marshall for pulling off the upset here took a five-point lead with 36 seconds left, and then immediately picked off Chris Robison to seal the win in that last minute. As an unbiased observer, I really love this game. Just about 900 total yards of offense between the two teams. Um, Lane Kiffin, on the other hand, obviously not an unbiased observer and clearly not happy about the officiating. Um, If you missed it on Twitter, he uh, posted a picture of blind referees walking around the field with German shepherds, the whole deal and tagged the official conference USA account. So he, he wasn't trying to pull a fast one. He just wanted uh, them to know his thoughts on this one. Um, but uh, for that action, he was fined $5,000, which yeah, you, you can't, you can't do that. But you know, at this point, what can you expect from, from Joey Freshwater? <laughs> yeah. You know, the funniest thing about this is, you know, I and for the FAU fans, I'm, don't please don't take this literally. This is just my own. You know, I'm taking some creative liberties here with this, right? But you know, Joe, uh, I almost said Butch Davis, Lane Tiffin, <laughs> Lane Tiffin sometimes for his coaches shows um, will kind of show up on his boat and he'll take his boat over to a location. It's a bar that's over on the water, and I kind of just envision Lane. Seems like that was a Friday game. I envision Lane Saturday just hanging on the boat. You know, shorts, tank top, a Corona. The same spirit. I'll tweet this out. Who cares? Because he, 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 not only did he tweet that out, he followed up with like jokes and, and they were hilarious jokes, but yeah. like jokes and, and, you know, after each one. So I feel like Lane was just there on the boat, you know, a couple of Coronas in, like, yeah, you know, let's have some fun. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, on the, uh, on the serious side, I guess, uh, I actually saw a tweet from uh, Frank Fort, who's in the play by play guys for FAU, who said that Lane Kiffin sent 22 plays in the Marshall game to the conference USA office that FAU thought were officiated correctly more than he ever has his entire career. So clearly, uh, you took it pretty seriously. 
For sure. I mean, he made the comment in the uh, in the presser that uh, you know, I, I I guess we don't have freedom of speech or freedom of tweet or whatever. And it, it, I just it's like, yeah, you do. You just don't have freedom of consequence. But at the same and, and time, did you see he tagged LeBron James as well? I mean, he just he was just totally going having all kinds of fun with that. Yeah, he he really he really leaned into it. Which you know, once you know, like you get the worst of your punishment or whatever. I I would expect nothing less from him. But and you know. At the same time, I, I feel like it's. I feel like we're just going to continue to kind of give him a pass for most of this stuff, just because he he set the standard for for this kind of behavior. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the fact that nobody gets mad at like how how vulgar like South Park is at this point, because it's just like yeah, that's what they do. And I feel like the same kind of standard has been set as far as uh, Lane Kiffin's social media presence goes at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think once again, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, at that point, once you're going to tweet it, you know, it's just, you just got to gotta go all in, right? And I mean, I kind of like that. Um, mm-hmm. Why, you know, if you are going to make that step, don't be like, all right, you know, I tweeted in the heat of the moment. Uh, I'm sorry. No, like, just go all in. So, you know, um, definitely love what, what Lane did. And I don't even have an issue with it because if you do look at the calls, they are questionable, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that's something that we can talk about for a later episode, the uh, level of officiating in Conference USA. You know, I don't want Merton Hanks or Judy McLeod, you know, listen to this podcast and starting to find us. Uh, we cannot afford the five thousand dollars fine, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is a legit gripe, right? Which, yeah, at the same time, I don't think we're going to get fined for being given our role and affiliation to the league. But um, still, still love you, USA. At any rate. Um, the result of that game means Marshall still has uh, East Division title hopes. Uh, just got to win a few more games. Meanwhile, in that same division, the uh, front runners right now, Western Kentucky, they beat Charlotte 30-14 to 14 over the weekend. Arguably, Ty Story's best game in Hilltopper uniform with 283 yards and two touchdowns to his name in this one. Um, kicking, clearly an issue for WKU. Uh, with the two misses, both uh, pretty makeable field goals, so something to watch for them. Uh, however, you got to give the, your uh, you got to tip your cap to how disciplined the Hilltoppers were in this one. Only committed one penalty the entire day, uh, while Charlotte committed uh, nine, I believe, and uh, almost gave up like the length of a of a football field in terms of penalty yards. So, when you look at how you know this game wasn't a blowout by any means, so definitely not insignificant yardage they're giving up by committing those penalties um and then meanwhile the story of the hilltoppers this year continues to be the defense and uh they hold ben lanay to just 45 yards rushing in this one absolutely i mean the story of this game has to be western kentucky's defense just the fact that they held in my opinion you know conference usa's top running back to under 50 yards on the ground and part of that you know was the way the game plan shook out for for charlotte we've seen that earlier in the season where they get behind early and they have to abandon the run but, you know, they held Benny LeMay to three yards a carry and then held the back of the 2.9 yards a carry. You know, that defense is playing out of their minds. They kind of remind me of how Charlotte's defense was last year when they kind of came out of nowhere to be one of the top units in Conference USA. And let's just go ahead and give credit to Clayton White. I mean, what he's done with the, with the defense is, is phenomenal. And also, you know, Tyson Helton as a whole. You know, he's we've talked about it last year and, and heading into this year that what might have been kind of the most significant job for him was to kind of rejuvenate that Western Kentucky fan base. And not only has he done that, he's got the team at the top of Conference USA East. So, you know, you mentioned Ty Story and all those other things off the top, but I just want to give a shout-out to that entire Western Kentucky defense. I know we've talked about D'Angelo Malone a lot, but they have guys like Devin Key, Juwan Jones, the list goes on. Uh, just great job by the entire defense, uh, defensive unit for Western Kentucky overall. 
Yeah, like I mentioned, they continue to be the story of uh, of that team. And really, as far as COSA is concerned, one of the top storylines of the entire league so far. So continue to give it up for uh, D'Angelo Malone, Jeremy Darvin, uh, that whole unit. So looking forward to seeing how they can finish out this year, at least from uh, you know the perspective of a clearly biased Western Kentucky fan. But I digress. Uh, in the West, things getting very interesting with uh, Southern Miss's loss to Louisiana Tech over the weekend. Uh, Bulldogs get that win, forty-five to thirty. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think a lot of us were kind of thinking this was uh, Southern Miss's division to to lose after they beat North Texas the other week. But uh, Tech showing they clearly have a lot left in the tank, beating uh, the Golden Eagles in this one. Twenty-one points in the fourth quarter, really setting themselves apart for the victory here. And um, again, on the tech side, give it up for Malik Stanley, 81 catches or not 81 catches, eight catches, uh, 212 yards and one touchdown. I was going to say, if you talk about video game numbers, 81 catches would definitely be in that realm, but uh, still a great performance nonetheless. No, absolutely. And you know, you're going to take the offensive side of this. I got to go to the defensive side. You know, we're going to get on this layer in the podcast about who we think, kind of, you know, a little bit past the midseason point, we believe our, our offensive and even the player of the year award winners. And a guy who has to be in the running is, is you know, Louisiana Tech, Amit Robertson. Yes, you know, to his defensive performance, three interceptions, really kind of bringing the team back as a whole. And just his entire career, how well he's played 15, 15 interceptions over his three seasons. And that just really spearheaded the Bulldog comeback. And a shout-out to Justin Henderson as well, who crossed 100 yard mark. And Jamar Smith, you know, He's a guy who, coming into the year, we talk about his inconsistencies, and, you know, maybe he hasn't turned the corner yet fully, but he's doing enough to keep his team in the ball game and have them winning games. And you mentioned off the top, you know, we definitely thought, was, I know I did, that uh, this was Southern Miss's ball game to win, the fact that they'd beaten North Texas, whereas if you go back and look at Louisiana, Louisiana Tech, excuse me, you tell us earlier here, if you go back and look at Tech's victory prior to this week, it seems a little bit, you know, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but it wasn't the best top-notch competition. And then, you know, to come out and make this statement against Southern Miss, it's really, you know, their division to lose now at this point. Exactly. The Southern Miss offense uh, continued to play pretty well, just uh, certainly didn't play mistake-free football on Saturday. And um, defense clearly has to step up a little bit, uh, especially late in games. Uh, kind of the anti-definition of clutch when you give up 21 points in the fourth quarter in what was – up until that point, a pretty close game. Um, speaking of close games, North Texas just edged out Middle Tennessee State this past weekend, 33-30. to 30. Uh, Ethan Mooney, North Texas kicker, getting the winning field goal with 28 seconds left on the clock. Um, as far as the offense goes, not the best day for Mason Fine with two interceptions. Had a lot of help from Jalen Darden and the special teams unit as well. They uh, pulled in a punt return for a touchdown, which always nice to see if you're uh, if you're the North Texas special teams coordinator. Um, meanwhile, Blue Raiders remain a one man show, uh, the Asher O'Hara show, um, live every Saturday, uh, which is unfortunate for them because uh, you know it seems like they're just they're just suffering some unfortunate injuries at this point too with uh reed blankenship on the defense in particular exactly i mean you talk about a middle tennessee state team that really needs all the help they can get it's not that they're talent deficient per se but they need their stars and reed blankenship is you know a top five defensive player in this entire conference but to lose him what looks like it's going to be a season-ending injury is definitely tough and yeah you talk about the Asher harris show i mean he does it on the ground 15 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown but 
that's kind of been the story of Middle Tennessee State's rushing game for the past five years, right? You know, it was Brent Stockfield kind of leading the way, and then the guys kind of followed in, you know, the running backs, whether it's been, you know, Shaton Mobley or Terrell West or Brad Anderson or, you know, kind of the list goes on. Those guys kind of filled in the rushing yards as is, but the quarterback led the way. And uh, that takes a toll on the quarterback. And you have to be, you know, the, the, uh, that energizer bunny for the entire offense, you know, whether it's rushing and passing. But give credit to North Texas. I mean, not their best game, as you mentioned. Mason Fine had two interceptions. It's, it's kind of what you would like to see from Middle Tennessee State in terms of North Texas' rushing game, because it doesn't matter whether it's been Trey Siggers, you know, DeAndre Torrey last year, uh, Lauren Easley steps up. He's a, a yard shy of 100 yards on, on the day, 19 yards, 99 yards. That's what you'd like to see from programs. You know, if they have that number one guy, more running back can't get the job done, you can go to your number two and number three guy. But, you know, it's overall, it's a win that North Texas really needed. They were at home. They couldn't really afford to fall to two and five. I mean, their division hope might be down the drain anyhow, but just for a season that started with so much promise, the fall to two and five would have been really crushing for the team. So, you know, great win for them. Yeah, and uh, hopefully – for for their sake, they continue that kind of play moving forward because uh, West still up for grabs. Definitely, just need to uh, get a few more divisional wins there. Um, and uh, also in the West, UAB uh, continuing their strong uh, sequence of play. Thirty eight to fourteen was the score over Old Dominion. Really complete performance for them. 435 offensive yards, and they held Old Dominion to just 150 total yards in this game. Uh, Meanwhile, on the Old Dominion side, real quick, uh, played a few different quarterbacks in this game, and they combined to get sacked five times. So I've said it once, I've said it a million times, the quarterback, not the only issue with that team. You also have arguably the worst offensive line in football right now, and it seems like Bobby Walters uh, having some trouble admitting that, at least from my from what I've seen and, and from my standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the quote last week. Bobby Walters said he's the coach of the best one in basketball team in America. And he said he'd be the coach of the best one in football team in America, and that's exactly where they are now. Let's just kind of, you know, put those numbers because, you know, you talk about it, but when you go 8 of 26 for 111 yards in one pick, uh, clearly the quarterback play isn't great, but as you mentioned, the offensive line isn't doing well, and you look at the rushing numbers. 33 carries for 39 yards. That's uh, a bit That's atrocious. That's, That's really bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I've talked about it on, on prior podcasts, it's kind of surprising if a guy like Isaac Weaver, who's a really good tackle in this league, but just goes to show that, this team really is talent deficient, and I, I don't know, I don't know how much of that is Bobby Wilder's fault. You know, I think I don't want to put it all on him because he did graduate a lot of players, a lot of talent last year. But you know, um, like you said, I think they have to kind of have that quote unquote come to Jesus moment and realize we're not as good as maybe we think we are. And yes, they did play a lot of games tough early in the year. Got to give them credit. But now I think you know you can only do that for so long and and not necessarily you know look in the mirror and say hey. Uh, we have to do better, and you kind of saw that happen post game with a you know cliche dreaded players only meeting that took place, uh, and, and most of the team got back home. So we'll see how that goes, but you know, a lot of issues for uh, with the meeting. Absolutely, not uh, not a whole lot of time left to really get into a point where you can even uh, do anything memorable this season. But we'll see what they're uh, they're able to pull out here. 
And uh, with that, we'll head back to Texas with UTSA uh, hosting Rice in their homecoming game and getting the win 31 to 27. Uh, speaking just for myself, this was a little bit of a surprise. I thought Rice was going to be able to put something together to get this done, but uh, no dice. Uh, Lowell Narcisse and Steve McCor- or, uh, Sincere McCormick came through for their team, getting the uh, getting the needed offensive production. And then, of course, you had Rashad Wisdom with the pick six on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, meanwhile, the Owls, we had a lot of hope for them, but um, Wiley Green looking just pretty rough in this game. And um, the possibility of Rice finishing the season winless is uh, really, really strong at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I kind of took a look at the schedule before we started taping. It's going to come down to that game against UTEP. That's really going to be the one to see if they can, uh, you know, at least put one in the win column. And I'm going to sound like a little bit of a hypocrite here, Joe, because I just talked about ODU not necessarily, you know, coming to rally what their record is. But you look at Rice, and do I think they're as bad as their record is? No, but the fact of the matter is their record is 0-7. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, it almost doesn't get you victory. Uh, you can't take almost, you know, boosters and recruiting and everything else. So, you know, the facts are what they are there, despite the fact that, you know, guys like Austin Walter have a 100-yard day. Um, they've had really good production from other wide receivers outside of Austin Trammell, uh, who he himself had nine catches for 75 yards. So he's got production from other guys. You can tell, at least from my POV, Joe, you can tell with Rice is that it's not that they don't have guys. It's that they don't have enough of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the situation where they're necessarily talent deficient. It's just that they don't go very deep past, you know, really their first string, if that. Um, and that's kind of the issue there. But, hey, give credit to UTSA because I picked them to lose. Uh, Frank Harris, of course, I'm thinking Frank Harris. Frank Wilson, you know, the two Franks there. Uh, Frank Wilson gets to a much needed one on his part. Uh, look at their record right now. They're three and four. And it's kind of what UTSA did last year where they started out slow, uh, picking a couple of wins to kind of make things close. But then when you look at the rest of their schedule, I only see one win left as well. So, you know, at this point, we can see how the season plays out. But for right now, uh, kind of enjoy the victory. And great job by Larry Narcy because he had really been deficient as a passer uh, through his play this season and last. So it's a nice job that you don't have to have this, all the uh, offensive output depending on Vincent McCormick and Brendan Brady. Right. It's a good point about the uh, UTSA side of things. Um, for Rice – there were moments in this game where they kind of looked like a, a vintage, you know, Mike Bloomgren Stanford offense uh, for sure. But like he mentioned going into this game, um, I believe the direct quote was, we have to start winning sometime. And I feel like we, myself included, we've all been pretty lenient with uh, Bloomgren and uh, considering how optimistic he, he, how optimistic he makes everybody when it comes to that program. But you know, at a certain point, if the wins don't start coming soon, it seems like the uh, the criticism is going to get turned up a little bit. But you see, and that's where Mike Bloomgren and Bobby Wagner, just you know, that's the example we're using. They're in two different situations, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, Bobby Wilder's coming. This would be if they finish the season as is. It would be their third straight leading season. And it's something that I've said on this podcast with the amount of pro talent they had last year. You can really make the argument that they really underachieved and should have done better this year. Not so much with Mike Bloomgren. You kind of knew he was under. You knew the task that they were, he was undertaking. You knew it was a rebuild. Um, yes, you do have to start winning games at some point. You know, playing hard isn't isn't good enough at some point. But I do think it's something that. I mean, I'll just ask you, Joe. Is, let's compare the two programs. 
who do you feel more optimistic about? ODU or Rice? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess probably Rice right now, just because Bobby Wilder clearly doesn't see the issues that are present within his his current line of a players. Whereas I feel like uh, Bloomgren um, clearly knows there's a problem, as evidenced by his record. But at the same time, I feel like Old Dominion has more talent they're just not utilizing it if that makes sense sure no absolutely that does make sense so i guess that that's my answer to your question um but yeah i mean i guess you know time will tell whether or not this uh this hire paid off and, and rice definitely still has a couple chances to get a victory before the end of the year uh not uh you know not to mention that UTEP game that you said, that's probably their best chance. Um, speaking of the Miners, they lost to FIU over the weekend, 32-17. to 17. Um, Panthers just really looked like they were in cruise control here. And I think that's you know just a testament to what that team can do when everybody's healthy and everybody's mind's in the right place. Uh, Eric, you were at this game. What would you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't want to... Uh, you know, belabor the point of cruise control, but even when you, you know, to start the game, they sat Sage Lewis, you know, their star linebacker. They also sat starting safety Olin Cushion, who I personally witnessed to go through pregame warm-ups. It looked pretty good, but, you know, Butch Davis said postgame, it was really precautionary. And I, once again, that's kind of an indictment of where UTEP is and maybe a statement by Butch saying, hey, I would like to think I've recruited enough talent that, you know, if we can't beat a, at the time, one for UTEP team that's really struggling, without those guys, then, you know, we maybe have more issues than we think. So, uh, you know, I, I can totally understand that POV of sitting the guys. But with that being said, yeah, the game kind of, uh, I mean, first off, it was one of the quickest games I've ever covered. I believe it was under two hours and 30 minutes, which if you know anything about college football, a game that's under two hours and 30 minutes is insane. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why there's a ton of, of, of uh, run attempts. They've got 35 for UTEP. And I believe it was over 40. Yeah, 32 for FIU and 45 for UTEP. So I mean, that goes to show you why that game went by so quickly. But as far as the play on the field, you got to give credit to FIU's defense. You know, Alexis Jean-Baptiste, he's really made a huge difference. I mean, it's one of those things where, Joe, you know, I like to ask players who have transferred from other conferences the difference in play from that conference to Conference USA just to kind of get a gauge on, you know, their read of things they may be able to do. And Jean-Baptiste is a prime example because he's someone who, you know, yes, he's been with the program since the spring, but he hasn't been a full-time, you know, participant in practice because in the time before his waiver was cleared, you're not going to give a guy who you don't know is going to play on game day practice reps over a starter, right? And uh, since he's been clear, been clear the past three weeks, you know, three and a half sacks, eight and a half tackles for loss, that just goes to show you he's a, really turning into a similar pass rusher in Conference USA. And the entire defense as a whole, just the way they performed against the one to three weeks uh, in their three-game victory, uh, three-game victory streak is just, incredible considering the way that they have performed prior to that. So give credit to, you know, um, the FIU defense and give credit to, you know, just kind of push as a whole for the entire game plan and they get the win. So now we'll see with the level up in competition uh, as they head to Middle Tennessee State, we'll see what happens. Yeah, could be an interesting matchup there with uh, the Blue Raiders, uh, giving them the best that they they can with the Asher O'Hara show, like we mentioned. Um at the top of the show, we talked about how the season's just about halfway over. And um, with that, we we're going to talk about some midseason awards and uh, discuss the kind of the best of the best in the league up to this point. 
Um, Eric, I know the three categories we wanted to hit on in this segment were uh, Coach of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, and uh, Defensive Player of the Year. To start off with, I'm interested to know who's your Conference USA Coach of the Year at this point in the season. To me, the, the, the Coach of the Year who I had listed in my article I wrote last week was Tyson Helton. And, I mean, that's kind of, you know, self-explanatory, right? You know, for a Western Kentucky program that really is heading in the wrong direction under Mike Stansford and to kind of rebound and help him to kind of just rejuvenate the program, not only with the players, but the fans as well, and to have a commanding lead in the East. Nobody saw that coming. You know, um, I think that's one thing. And then if I had to choose maybe a secondary category, or excuse me, a second, secondary uh, candidate, contender, I would have to go with Skip Holt. Just because the same thing. I don't think any of us had Louisiana Tech, you know, being right there where they are at the West. I mean, we thought that Tech would be a competitive program, but to be six and one and you know be in control of their own destiny, uh, I think that's huge. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to say Skip Holtz uh, to be I, as much as I wanted to say Tyson Helton. I feel like. And you brought up a lot of good points about him. I just wanted to kind of go in a um, you know contrarian kind of viewpoint. But you mentioned a lot of good things about Skip Holtz because I think he was going to be my choice um, going into the season. Louisiana Tech had a lot to contend with as far as dealing with the defending champion in UAB on that side of the table, and then of course you had North Texas, who everybody said was just going to dominate this season, and that hasn't necessarily happened. Um, so to be able to come into the season with uh, the you know the very experienced team that he has and really separate themselves as top dog uh, pun completely intended uh, in the West right now, I think that's been really uh, really something to watch. No, absolutely. I mean, it, I guess there's really two kind of ways of looking at it, you know, because you can't fault Tip Holt for having higher expectations than Tyson Hilton. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's not really a way to say, hey, you know, this coach gets the edge because the floor was here, you know, yeah, he got to the higher ceiling. Um, I guess I just think, and I should put this caveat here, same one that I put in the story. Should Tyson Helton finish out this whole deal, I got to give it to him. You know, I, I just think that um, when you look at the two coaching jobs, I, I think that Tyson Helton had less to work with. And should both of them, you know, finish everything out and, and meet in the conference of the title game, I'd have to give the edge to Tyson Helton. All fair points. Uh, what about offensive player of the year? Who's really caught your eye? Well, I mean, <laughs> prior to the four interceptions, but I'm still going to stick with the person I lifted, and that was Southern Miss quarterback Jack Abraham, just because I've been so impressed with the numbers that he has put up and the fact that he had his team in position to contend for a conference title. They still can contend. Uh, you know, they're gonna, now they're not in control of their end they're going to need some help. But uh, I still think, you know, that Jack Abraham is a guy that you have to look at and just in terms of how efficient he has been. And then, you know, once again, I don't want to make this a southern this show, but if you're looking for a secondary contender, you got to look at a guy like Quez Watkins because he's only played in five games, yet he's second in the, in the entire league in the season yard with 630. So I think guys like him, guys like Brendan Knox, got a huge outburst team of yards since FAU, uh, Trey Sibbett as well, depends on his health, but my pick right now, I'm still sticking with Jack Abraham. Okay, fair fair points and uh, fair criticisms as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Chris Robison just because I feel like he has been uh, he's been really vital to his team's success this year, and he's had such a good uh, turnaround after what we've really uh, just been, in terms of on the field performance and um, correcting the uh, issues that were clearly present 
off the field um, going into this year. So I think Chris Robinson's my pick. Uh, 14 touchdowns, just three interceptions on the year with uh, 2,068 yards through the air. Um, so I think he's been really fun to watch. I think, I feel like every week he has a different leading receiver and, you know, obviously part of that is a testament to just how, uh, how much he's developed over the course of his college career. And it's really all coming to a head in this season. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, and, and I do think that Robinson can make the argument, especially if, you know, FAU is able to kind of put up good numbers, especially through the air. And if you look at the rest of FAU schedule with the way the rushing attack has been going, it kind of looks as if the uh, bulk of the offensive load will be on Chris Robinson's right arm. But I, I just think Jack Abraham, when you look at completion percentage and touchdowns, he's kind of far, well, not say far and away, but he's got a nice edge on Robinson, and that's why I give him my, uh, my edge. But, you know, I, I wouldn't see, you know, I, I can see a scenario at the end of the year where Chris Robinson has a very strong case. Fair. On the uh, defensive side of the ball, I feel like we're in pretty much agreement here. My pick's D'Angelo Malone. Leading the league in tackles for loss, leading the league in sacks, uh, being disruptive in both the pass and run game. Um, with the, you know, we talked about how good and how surprising Western Kentucky's defense has been this year, and um, he's been a huge part of that. So, you know, I feel like people probably saw that coming on my end, but uh, he's my guy, and I'm sticking with it right now. Anyone who listens to this podcast has heard me rave about D'Angelo Malone. So, you know, that's definitely my pick. I guess if I'm going to give you a couple of guys to follow that up, two sleepers, would definitely be Amik Robertson, who I mentioned earlier. And then also down in, you know, in Boca, um, Nico Dotson. He does actually leading the league in interceptions with six, and he's really a ball hawk. There's no reason to think that he might not be able to snag a couple more. You know, maybe if he can get nine or ten, then he's in consideration as well. But D'Angelo Malone is putting up eye-popping numbers, so that's my choice. That's fair. And, you know, I feel like we don't, when we talk about the top defenses in this league, we don't give enough credit to UAB. And they're really the team that's uh, leading the league in scoring defense right now uh, and leading the league in defending the run and defending the pass. And uh, I'm going to throw a couple of names at you to just uh, watch for the rest of the year because I feel like you're going to, you're going to really enjoy watching them play. Uh, Will Bowler got uh, four passes broken up, two interceptions so far. Um, being a, a big piece of that pass defense along with DeJon Turner. And, um, and then also uh, Jordan Smith um, and Christopher Mull, breaking up a lot of plays in the backfield, uh, seven tackles for loss for Mull, and then eight for uh, Smith. So it's just funny because I feel like in any other year we would be continuing to rave about UAB's defense and how much they've continued to progress the last couple of years since the program came back. Uh, but, you know, Western Kentucky is obviously still in a lot of the headlines and, and for good reason, in my opinion. But um, just kind of a, a funny situation the Blazers find themselves in there. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where – I think because we're so caught up in, you know, Louisiana Tech being unexpected and so caught up in Western Kentucky being unexpected, UAB's just flying under the radar saying, hey, you know, we'll be there at the end. And then once again, that's just a real testament to what Bill Clark has done with this program. I mean, the story has been related ad nauseum, but I'll go and relay it again. For them to come from literally the depth to this is, you know, incredible. And he deserves a lot of credit for not only building the program, but sticking with it and not leaving to get another job when the team was dormant. Absolutely. And with that, then we'll move on to uh, picking some games for this week. Uh, kick things off. We got USM 
playing a uh, paying a visit to Rice rather. Um, I think feel like USM are the pretty safe pick here, uh, regardless of the loss last week. Uh, you still got a really really talented offense in Jack Abraham, Kez Watkins and company, and uh, Rice still figuring things out for themselves. Yeah, no pushback here. What I'm really looking forward to seeing in this game is I feel like this game is similar to the one that ODU played last week, right? With ODU, like I mentioned, they played a lot of games tough. They played Virginia tough. They played Virginia Tech tough. But eventually they had that blowout, which was last week. Is that that game – is this game the one for Rice? Can they play Southern Miss tough, or is this the one where things just fall completely off the rails and they get blown out? And the reason I mention that is because we just went on this whole deal about how, you know, they need to put wins on the board. It's easy to keep the confidence if you're saying, hey, we're almost right there. But then if you get blown out by 20 or 30 points, uh, you know, it's a little harder to kind of sell that, uh, you know, you're not necessarily buying that brand at the end of the day. So uh, that's, uh, de- that's definitely something I want to keep an eye on in that uh, Southern Miss Rice game. Catch that one at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, moving on then, we'll have Marshall hosting Western Kentucky in the good old moonshine throwdown here. Um, I got to go with the road team, the Hilltoppers. I feel like that defense is just going to continue to do what they've done. Um, Marshall, while they've been really solid in spots, the inconsistency has me worried. So with that in mind, I, uh, I feel like the Hilltoppers can get the win done. Yeah, once again, I agree with you. You know, we didn't do delve too much into the FAU Marshall game. So we had talked about the inconsistency of Isaiah Green, and I think that'll play a factor here, especially against a really tough Western Kentucky defense. Something that Isaiah Green did against FAU that just really kind of disappointed me. I don't know if you caught this, Joe. There was a play where Brendan Knox, it appeared as if he scored from the one-yard line. It was uh, in the third quarter, and that score would have put Marshall ahead over FAU. The refs called him down short, but Ike Green kind of got into the whole scrum, and it looked like he was halfway pulling Knox off of the scrum slash trying to make the argument that Knox had scored. In the process, got in a little bit of a, of a, you know, a tussle with the FAU defender and picked up a 15-yard penalty. And then what happens on that? You know, they go back from the one-yard line to the 15-yard line. They don't convert and have to settle for three. That just goes to show the inconsistency and, you know, to be blunt, the immaturity Isaiah Green in that moment. So we've talked about him and Nogden kind of needing to take that next step, and this is kind of an example of his inconsistency, and I don't think that that would be any different against a really strong Western Kentucky defense. You can catch that one on Stadium's Facebook page. At uh, Like I mentioned, that will be – uh, as I try to remember what I said, at uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, next one, we got Charlotte hosting North Texas at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Um, uh, you know, Charlotte, I feel like their their momentum has definitely stalled quite a bit. Uh, North Texas still fighting themselves, but I feel like I, I have more confidence in their, uh, in their offense at this point, so I'm picking the mean green in this game. Yeah, you know, it's one of these games where I'm almost tempted to pick Charlotte just because I do believe in the talent that they have. But the fact of the matter is this, they're committing way too many penalties, and they're just right now a really, you know, undisciplined team. It's not that they don't have the talent and the ability to luck – well, I shouldn't say luck up, but they don't, not that they don't have the ability to win this game because North Texas has shown that they've been inconsistent. But if it's one thing you know from a special trail coach team is that they're not going to be undisciplined. You know, they might not win on the field and the defense might be struggling, but they're not going to have the same type of, you know, penalty issues that Charlotte has. So uh, with that being said, I got to go with North Texas. In agreement on that one. Then uh, next one, Middle Tennessee hosting FIU. 
and uh, on the NFL Network, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. The Astro Harris show is just not enough at this point, and uh, FIU, you know, starting to hit their stride. Better late than never. So uh, picking picking the Panthers in that game. Yeah, yours truly will be at Floyd Stadium in Murfreesboro checking out this one. You know, I, I, I expect what you said, the Asher Harris show. I think he's going to show up and play well. Actually, his uh, you know college debut came against this program, so against this FIU program, so not like he doesn't have experience against them. This isn't the you know the first time around against him like he's had against uh, one of these programs and he's played this year. But with that being said, I think James Moore is going to do for a really big game. You know, we all know how talented he is and especially on the road. He's been really good on the road over the past year and a half. So I'm going with the Panthers. Solid points. And then Old Dominion, same time, 3.30 Eastern on ESPN Plus, hosting Florida Atlantic. Uh, pretty easy pick here with uh, the Florida Atlantic Owls. Like I mentioned before, Old Dominion just has a lot of issues that they're just not taking the proper steps to correct, in my opinion. Uh, meanwhile, FAU not playing mistake-free ball by by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, a lot to be happy about with that offense, and I feel like this uh, this one could get ugly pretty quick. Yeah, you know, I won't go make the same joke about Bobby Wilder's quote. You know, we both expect him to be one and seven. However, if for ODU, you just want to see what they can do offensively because that's been now <laughs> Achilles' heel is too weak of a way to describe their offense issue this entire year. You know, it, it's just been abysmal. So, what can they do at home? Can they muster anything against a defense that you know has been really good up until last week? You know, yes, they had their struggles early on against Ohio State and UCF, but you know, who doesn't have struggles defensively against? teams like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how ODU's offense is. I and mean, you see the quarterback play, uh, who's taking the snaps, you know, and then how they fear. But all things considered, I think the Owls bounce back and get the W. And then rounding out the day, we have UTEP hosting Louisiana Tech at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, you know, Tech of the easy pick. Um, like we've mentioned, they've been so solid all year. Hard to imagine that uh, the thing that's going to, you know, stub their toe, so to speak, is a game against UTEP. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't, uh, can't disagree with you there. I mean, I guess the thing I'm looking for is, you know, Amik Robertson will he be adding to his interception total. And then, you know, on a serious note for UTEP, Kai Loxley came in and played relatively well in the second half. I mean, it, it wasn't anything noteworthy, but at least he was able to use his legs to make some plays and he completed some passes. So um, maybe that might be something to look forward to if you're a UTEP fan. But, you know, I think the outcome of this one, uh, we, we kind of know, barring something, you know, drastic that Tech gets the W. All right, then with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up the show. Should be an interesting week of COSA football, as it seems to be every week. Uh, with that, we'll say thank you again for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Check us out on Google Play, Spotify. Leave a review as well. Always helps the show. Uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And check out UnderdogDynasty.com every day. Promise it'll be worth your time. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore is me. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Um, I'm going to go start my day now, unfortunately. <laughs> See ya.